Ephesians chapter 6 we are in. Any Bibles? Anyone need a Bible? If you do, raise your hands. Okay. Verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that um, your word says the victory is already won, that in Christ, Lord, the victory is won, that, uh, Lord, though we are in a battle, a, a spiritual battle, and though life and the world seeks and tries to overcome. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, which says that in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And we thank you, Lord, for, uh, for all the seasons of life that anyone who is present here may be in. Lord, some are riding on the crest of the wave. We praise you for that. Others are in the trough, Lord, in trial. We praise you in the trials, but Lord, we seek you this morning. Seek to be filled, Lord. Only you can meet the need, Lord, that we have for you, Lord. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So we are in the final section of Ephesians, and Ephesians divided into three sections. The first section, which is the first three chapters of Ephesians, is all about sitting or resting, sitting or just resting, 
in the Lord. Uh, resting so we can learn who we are in God's eyes. Who we are in God's eyes. We uh, put this chart up early on when we were talking about Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapters 1 and 3, we learn, for example, that uh, we are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. It's important that we, the first three chapters is about sitting and resting and just taking that in. You are in Christ Jesus. And then to the right of that, you are accepted in the beloved, meaning the beloved, meaning the community of saints, the people of God. You are chosen, you are redeemed, you are holy and blameless when God looks at you after having received Christ. He sees someone who is holy and blameless. Doesn't matter what your record is. Sitting, the first three chapters of Ephesians, and just understanding that. You are his inheritance. When people wait around and they joke about a relative dying and getting an inheritance, and they're typically talking about money or possessions. But the Bible says that you, once you are in Christ, God has such a high opinion of you that you're his inheritance. When Jesus returns for you, when he, uh, and in heaven, when he receives his saints, it's like, he, it's like receiving a large amount of money after someone dies. It's, it's, that's how much, how much value you have in his eyes. You are adopted as sons and daughters, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. You are sealed, meaning your salvation is as good as done. You are the praise of his glory, verse 6 of Ephesians 1. And then you are his poem, his workmanship. He has written out a story for your life, and it's a glorious story. First three chapters of Ephesians, sitting and just learning who you are because we come into the body of Christ so messed up in terms of understanding who we are. The second section, which is found in chapters 4 through chapter 6, verse 9, it's all about walking, walking with God. Now that Jesus is in your life, what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to behave? What is your life supposed to look like? How are you supposed to walk? Well, the answer is very differently. And that is what is described in Ephesians 4 through chapter 6. And we see in those, uh, that section of Ephesians, just walk. Walk worthy of the calling of which you were called. Do not walk as the rest of the world walks. Chapter 4, verse 17. Walk in love as Christ also loves us. Chapter 5, verse 2. Walk as children of life. Chapter 5, verse 8. And walk circumspectly, meaning, meaning carefully, meaning there's a way that God wants you to walk, walk that way, not as fools, but as wise. Now, most of us make the mistake of trying to walk before we sit, and the result is always the same. We fall flat 
on our faces it, it, when you try to walk as a follower of Christ. Before you sit at his feet and learn who you are, you will fall flat on your face 100% of the time. So as, uh, as you learn to walk, as you first sit, as you first learn who you are in Christ. And then as we move into the third section, what is addressed at that point has to do with this. Once you start walking with God, you begin to notice something. You begin to notice that there's something opposing you, that there is something trying to frustrate your efforts at walking with God. There's something coming against you. It's not your imagination. It's as real as the rising and setting of the sun, as the, uh, as the, as the sky, as the moon, the stars, the mountains, the valleys, the rivers, the sea, the ocean. There is something coming against you. And it's not imaginary. The Bible teaches that there is a very real kingdom of darkness. You know, this book here, which we, we get into and we declare and we chew on each week, this book is about truth. It's the only place where you will get a comprehensive and satisfactory answer for every question of life, why you're here, who you are, why there's suffering, why there's death, where you're headed, where you have been. The Bible answers all those questions. But it also answers this question, why is there so much pain and evil? Where does evil come from? And why does there seem to be so much of it in this world? Why is that? The answer we find in the Bible is there's a very real kingdom of darkness. There's a kingdom of light. The ruler of the kingdom of light is the light of the world, Jesus Christ. But there's a kingdom of darkness, the ruler of which is Satan, Lucifer, a fallen angel. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that a third of the angels of heaven fell with Satan. And that's what's referred to in verse 12. We read it this morning. We do not, let's read it together, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So it's real. There's a kingdom of darkness, and we read the Bible to, to understand all these questions of life. Why does it seem, when I start walking with God, that... that all hell is breaking loose against me. The answer is, it is. That's what, that's the answer to the question. It really is. There's a kingdom of darkness. There's a kingdom of life. But listen, very important. Don't think, you know, we hear sometimes about a battle between the kingdom of life and the kingdom of darkness. It's not equal armies, if you will, 
who are waging against each other. They're, they're, God and Satan are not like opposites. Satan's a created being, created by God as an angel, but he rebelled against God, was cast out of heaven for a season of time. God has given Satan license to rule this kingdom of darkness. In the book of Revelation, we learn that God has prepared a lake of fire which Satan and his angels will be thrown into someday. In the meantime, Satan's alive and well on planet Earth. Why this is so can be a challenge to understand. After man rebelled against God, God let man's free will, he's letting man's free will run its course for a season on planet earth. Well, it's, it's the same kind of thing with fallen angels. The Lord has his purposes for all this, some of which has yet to be revealed. But you do see in the Bible that Satan is, is sometimes oddly, we'd never think of this, but he, it, it, God uses him to test man and woman. Certainly we see that in the case of Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden. They failed the test miserably. But on other times as well. But God's purposes will be made fully over time. We know that the end, God will be glorified and the kingdom of darkness will be extinguished forever. But now, there is a kingdom of darkness on planet Earth. And the Bible says that Jesus saves us from that kingdom of darkness. He saves us. It says in the Bible, in Colossians, in chapter 1, it says that Jesus has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And so anytime a man or woman is transferred or translated or transported from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, Satan really, 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 really doesn't like it. But what he really, really, really doesn't like is when a man or woman is not only rescued and placed in the kingdom of light, but also begins to walk in the light. He really, really, really doesn't like that. He's a control freak. He doesn't like losing control. And whenever he's losing control, which he does as the kingdom of God advances in your life, he will come against it. And that means, yes, you coming against you as you begin to walk with the Lord. And so what's the answer to all this? Well, that's what Ephesians chapter 6 verses 11 through 20 is about. You stand against them. First part of Ephesians, sitting. Second, walking. Third, standing. And so we discussed this last week. How many times in these three verses, verses 11 through uh, 13, this word against Shows up. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of this darkness of this age, against the spiritual uh, hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. 
Same kind of word is against in the evil day and having done all to stand. So, now, remember from last week, Satan and demonic entities do their work in one of two ways. Sometimes it's out in the open. Full, full-on manifestation of demonic activity. Open demonic worship. Now you have that occurring in a number of the Caribbean islands, some of the ethnic communities right here in Boston. You know, Santeria and Voodoo just playing around with open demonic worship. Listen, if you're in here today, I would just really, really strongly warn you against having anything to do with that. You know, we have had people come into this church who have participated in those things. And you will hear crazy kind of stuff it's like, no, we're all for God, but this is, this, is, this is a part of our culture. But the Bible says that, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what does Satan have in common with Christ? Do not be yoked with an unbeliever. D- don't mix light with darkness. Don't do that. If any of you are like that, are doing something like that, don't do it. We were just in Brazil, and at the church service that we showed up at, which we were speaking at and uh, doing that skit that we performed last week, there was a worship service for a demon, a demon called Yamanga. It's like a female-like demon that drowns people in the ocean. Uh, and, and there's about 200, 200 or 300 people there, a stage, speakers, and everything right next to where the church service was happening. So we literally had to try to speak over it. Now, I've been around long enough now. <laughs> I've been walking with the Lord for almost 30 years that when I walked up to this situation, I've been to this church about six times now. This has never happened. I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. This is going to be a really cool challenge here. And you don't try to beat it by yelling louder, um, but praying, praying in the spirit. But this is one way that Satan operates. It's just right out in the open. Here I am. Worship me. Uh, And you see some of that happening in the world today. However, in our country, Most of the time, that's not how Satan operates. Most of the time, it is through deceptions, through lies, operating in the visible realm. That's why verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles, that means tricks, that means schemes, that means deception of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. Satan can appeal directly into your thought life. In John chapter 13, verse 2, it says that Satan placed the idea of betraying Jesus right into the heart of Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, verse 3, it says that Satan placed the idea of lying into the heart of Ananias. Look at verse 16 here in chapter 6. It says, above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. This is a reference to to Satan's uh, ability to affect your thought life. Now remember, 
How does Satan battle? He does it with lies, often twisted up into truth, but he does it with lies. We put up this verse last week, John chapter 8, verse 44, when Satan lies, this is Jesus speaking, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So if you have difficulty believing there is such a thing as Satan, that that's a superstition, you know, this guy with a pitchfork and, you know, a, a red tail, first one you have to contend with is Jesus, because Jesus spoke of Satan on a number of times, not infrequently. He spoke about the existence of Satan. And this is what it, one of the things he said. When he lies, he speaks his native language. But the thing is, he speaks your language too. He speaks English. He speaks, he, th- he speaks the language that you're familiar with. And he knows how to communicate in such a way that you think, oh, this guy is a friend. He knows me. He knows what I want. He knows my desires. He knows my dreams. The wiles of the enemy. The wiles, the methods of Satan. So, um, what happens when Satan is coming against you? The answer is discouragement. The answer is fear. Vexation. Indifference. Just, you don't care anymore. Apathy. You know, what's... Nothing's worth it anymore. I don't need to worry about God. A hardened heart. Sometimes it's elation. Sometimes it's, it's like great happiness. You know, when Satan appeals to pride, it results in kind of a manic type of, of state. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, when Satan took Jesus to an exceedingly high mountain and offered him all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus told him to take a hike. But too often when Satan offers that kind of thing to a man or woman, there is elation. It's like, what? You're offering me what? Wow, I really like this. But what's important to understand is Satan is not satisfied with just a little discouragement. It's, it's, he's not satisfied with, with just indifference or confusion or fear. He wants to destroy you. He never wants to stop at discouragement. He never wants to stop at confusion. He doesn't want to stop there. He wants to move on to destruction. The Bible says in John 10.10, 10, and this is Jesus speaking, says the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So, so what starts off with discouragement will lead to destruction. That's why this is a very, it, it is a serious topic that we're here. His aim is to move you from um, discouragement to open rebellion against God, meaning what's the point of following God anymore? What's the point of following God anymore? Uh, and, and then open rebellion always leads to destruction, a a destroyed family, a destroyed life, a destroyed testimony. When your life is bringing glory to Almighty God, when it is a beacon of love, blessing, and holiness, 
pointing people to Jesus, it gets attention in the kingdom of darkness. So what's your response to all this supposed to be? And that's what, that's what, that's what this is about. Verse 10 says, first response is, is just to understand, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord, knowing that the Lord is almighty God. You will never hear Satan or any demon called almighty. But this is the very name of God, the Lord, Jehovah. He is almighty God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. First things first, direct your thoughts to the Lord. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the author and finisher, finisher of your faith. First things first, that's how you battle in the spiritual realm. I mentioned this last week, but Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays for the people in this city in Ephesus and I pray this for you. That you may know, and here, here's the prayer right here, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Again, verse 10 of Ephesians 6 says that you would be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then it continues. Verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the trickery, the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this darkness, of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen, to sex successfully overcome spiritual warfare, you need to understand who your enemy is. We learn here in verse 12 that our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not a human being. And so often we misidentify who the enemy is. And by doing so, we allow the enemy to win. Thinking that it's a human being that we're battling against. I've done this so many times. I've been guilty of this. I mean, there's hundreds of examples I could use from my own life. I'll just give you one. It's painful enough giving one. I won't give you a hundred. But, you know, for years we have been, had children's Bible studies in the local housing developments here in Boston in the projects. And several times we have been told that we are no longer allowed to have our Bible studies because we're a church and they only want secular, non-religious organizations helping out in the projects. I mean, you bring up God and it brings up problems and so we're, we're asked to leave. So inevitably, I wind up in a meeting across the table for, with a highly educated man or woman. They have advanced degrees from so, some local university who has taught them that a better way, never mind the fact that there's shootings and killings and gangs. 
within hearing practically of the conversation where we're talking, but, but um, the, the, it, and, and they explained to me that, you know, churches are, uh, are not welcomed here because there's many different religions and we're just one. And, and so um, my tendency in those situations is to lose composure. And when I lose composure, I lose my witness for the Lord and Satan wins. I'm not talking about yelling, but just just getting into, just just losing my self-control just enough. You know, you people are so ignorant. Your kids are killing each other and you're pushing out people who want to help. You know, it's just so foolish. And, and, and I, I understand sometimes there's a need to say things like that. But it always has to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And... You know, so many times I wind up apologizing. You know, I feel like sometimes I spend half my life apologizing. But, yeah, but, 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 but the, the point is, is that what was the mistake that I made? I thought the enemy was flesh and blood. But it's not flesh and blood. There is an enemy who's trying to get God out of the housing developments, out of the projects, out of the schools, out of the public marketplace. And it's Satan. It's, it's the principalities, the powers, the, the rulers of this dark age. It's, that's who the real enemy is. So listen, everyone. The enemy is not your boss. The enemy is not that relative who's wreaking havoc in your family. It's not that church member who is causing division and gossiping in the church. That's not the enemy. The enemy, enemy is not the university professor who's calling Christianity a superstition, is teaching a worldview that exalts man over God. No, that's not the enemy. The enemy is not flesh and blood. And it's so important that you understand that. If you are going to stand, stand, having done all, stand, is what the Bible says. So many times I'm in counseling and, it, 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 and, and someone will be, it's my wife, my work, this person in church is offensive to me. No, 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 no. It's, those aren't the problem. You're in a spiritual battle. And everything has become about you and what people are doing towards you. You're in a spiritual battle. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the full armor of God. So verse 13 continues. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, to withstand in the evil day and having done all to Stand. You are a billboard to the grace of God. You want that billboard to stand. You don't want the devil's graffiti all over it. So put on the full armor of God. Verse um, 14 so begins with this armor. And there's a number of pieces of armor. We're just going to, today, we're just going to talk about one piece of armor and that's the first one it says stand there for having girded your waist with truth so the first piece of armor speaks of truth 
That word girded, what does that mean? Well, in the NIV, it says this, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is, the, this is how we stand against the devil. This is what we do in spiritual warfare, and it's something we need to do every day. We first need to put on the belt of truth. And, and so at Calvary Chapel, this is why we emphasize the word of God so much. Satan will just so easily put Christ followers on the shelf because they don't know the word of God. Every day, you need to be in the word of God, in in the Bible, if you are to stand against the devil. Otherwise, again, it's going to be this confusing, frustrating, depressing set of issues, and you're going to be pointing your fingers at human beings. If you don't know the Word of God, the Word of God. But it says that the belt of truth needs to be buckled around your waist. Now this is really important because all of this, these verses, starting with this one, is an illusion and it's, it's a picture of a Roman soldier. Rome controlled the known world at this time and their soldiers were famous really in all of uh, human history for just the, the, their armies, just for their, the, the sheer volume and might and how they overcame the enemy. And a lot of it had to do with their training as well as their armor. Now forgive, forgive me of this, but I want to put up a picture of a Roman soldier. Oh, there, there it is. There's our Roman soldier. It's Mike McMillan. He's posing for us, and uh, uh, there he is. But if you will um, notice about this Roman soldier, I, 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 if you're in the back, you may not be able to see it so well, but the thing about the belt is the belt of a Roman soldier holds everything else in place. It holds in place sort of the armor that is around the waist. Ultimately, there's that breastplate, that armor around the chest. It, it's responsible for holding that up. There's armor below the belt. If you notice, there is a sword in the belt. Sometimes there were uh, two swords in the belt. The belt holds everything together. And again, the Bible says that gird your waist with truth. Or, or um, I, again, it, it, the, the, the buckle of, of truth, just wrap it around you so that you're holding everything up. And so there's, there's a very important 
principle here. Not only do you have to understand what the Bible says and know what it says, but the Bible needs to be connected to every part of your life. Listen carefully here. Satan wants to draw you into a battle in which you battle him through your emotions, through your anger, or your, uh, through your, um, I, I don't know, other kind of feelings like um, anxiety and uh, fear and, 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 and pride and even sexual lust. And, and he wants you to, uh, to war against him or to respond against you on the basis of emotions. And, and so the, the gird up your, the, the Bible verse, it's gird up your uh, waist. The, in, the, in the actual Greek, it's the word loins. And the loins was the, the, the seat of, uh, of procreation. It's, but, but also there's the idea of the emotions. And so the idea is that you need to, uh, all your emotional makeup of who you are, it all needs to be tied up with the belt the, uh, of, of truth, of, of the Word of God, which means the Word of God needs to be applied to every single area of your life. Now, a really interesting thing, speaking of battle and throughout the the. the Bible, there's, there's these pictures of battle which represent, you know, uh, some, many times how it is in the spiritual realm. In early World War II and some of the earlier battles when uh, the, the English and Great Britain showed up on the beaches of Italy or France, they did studies and, and they discovered that even though so many of the soldiers were told exactly what to do when they got there, when they got to their landing point, 70% of them never fired a bullet. (laughs) They never fired a round of ammunition. They, They just got there and they were just so freaked out. I mean, it's understandable, right? I mean, there's, there's, oncoming uh, troops and tanks and, and fire. There's guns being fired. And so many of them, did, they just lost control. They went into survival mode. They lose control of their bowels and all kinds of terrible things. Only 30% of them fired around. And what they really took from all that is that they hadn't had proper training. They had never really applied to knowledge, the, the knowledge of what was the right thing to do to a real life situation. So they had to radically change their training so that in their training, it really emulated, it was like a real field of battle. And it's just like this in the spiritual realm. It says, gird up 
your waste with truth, and meaning that the truth needs to be applied to every area of your life. You can know the Bible inside and out, but man, when there's something that comes against you and it causes you to fear, you can just respond in fear and run away. You can know the Bible inside and out, and, uh, but when some something comes against you that you don't like, you respond in anger. And so the whole idea here of girding your waist with truth is that you need to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so, for example, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says this, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And in being Christians who, as you begin to walk and there's something that approaches you that, that it just causes you to fear, you know, my employer is now asking me to lie in order to stay with this job. I'm going to have to lie. No. The Bible didn't give you a spirit of fear. It's actually learning. It's girding your, your waist with, with the truth. It's actually living the truth. It's actually applying. It's actually allowing that truth to affect every single emotion. Satan wants you to, to, to basically to lower you into battling him on the basis of your emotions. Anger. The Bible says the wrath or anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And, and so many times, for example, in marriage, your spouse does something that you don't like and, and you have this feeling, well, if, if I get angry here, I'll be able to get my way and next time they won't do what they're doing now because they don't want to see this anger in me. This is a real thing. But it, when you gird your waist, you gird up your waist with truth, you're applying James 1.20, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, to your marriage and saying, look, God, I, 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 I want to respond in anger here, but I'm just going to apply this truth and see what you do. And you learn that it produces the righteousness of God. That when you use anger in your marriage, it's just going to make things worse over time. But when you respond with love and self-control and patience and you sort of put off the anger, the righteousness of God is produced. So what happens when you're in battle as you go on and on in battle? You're firing the rounds of the gospel. You don't go into survival mode. If I don't get angry here, if I don't lie here, I'm, I'm going to be destroyed. But you are actually applying the word of God to your life. That's what it means to, to be girding up your waist with truth. Sexual lust. Sexual lust. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee also youthful lust, but Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, very interesting thing about this verse, verse 14. 
Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. The word waist actually in the original language is the word loins. Many of you are familiar with that verse. Loins refers to the seat of procreation. It's among other things that area where our sexual organs are. This is really nitty gritty stuff here. Is the truth of God, has that been applied to your loins? To your sexual organs? Has it been applied there? Satan wants you to respond to battles on the basis of your emotion, including your sexual lust. Most problems with sexual sin... I have found over my many years as a pastor have, have to do with things other than just someone lusting. It's frustration with life. It's anger. It's other issues where they just get frustrated and distraught. Satan wants you just to, to, to draw you in and have you respond just on the basis of your emotion with sexual lust. Well, um, here, Second Timothy 2 says, flee sexual lust, youthful lust. Meaning, don't think you are so strong that you can just play with it and toy with it. And I can handle this thing. I can handle talking alone with a woman who is not my spouse in a private room. I can handle it. I'm an adult. The Bible says flee. You get up and flee, even if you look like a fool. There's some things not worth getting destroyed. And one of them is your marriage. Or one of them is your sexual purity prior to marriage. It's not worth it. Believe me, it's not worth it. Gird up your waist, your loins, with the word of God. Finally, the last one I want to bring up is pride. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There is that part of us that has such a tendency to start looking down at others, putting them down, even if it's in our own mind, while we put ourselves up. There's such a tendency, particularly in, in a Christian, as they begin to know the Word of God, all of a sudden, they start complaining about and criticizing people for doing things that they used to do. It's a very short memory. They used to be full-on in the, a particular area, and now... Wow, they're complaining. Look at these people. They're, they're, uh, there's a, a, a politician or something falls into sexual sin. They, they get caught with their mistress or whatever. And they're like, oh, how horrible. Look, can you believe what they're doing? Pride comes in. And, and the Bible says that, listen, we need to gird our waist with truth God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
that I just put, because this is such an important one, I included another verse here. It says, pride goes before the destruction and, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Have you learned to actually apply that to your life? Have you prayed to the Lord, God, I really have a tendency to start looking at other people and and thinking they're beneath me. Have you prayed to the Lord, expose those areas in my life, Lord, so that I can immediately remember the cross, the bloody cross where Jesus was uh, beaten up and crucified and, and really executed, assassinated for my sin because my pride was so ugly that he died for it. Every time that we, we get into this place where we're looking upon others and judging them, if you want to know how ugly that is, look at the cross, the bloody cross, and there you'll get a picture of that ugliness. And so gird up your waist, gird up your waist with truth. And finally, we're going to have communion this morning, but prior to communion, we've been talking about a battle. Can you imagine going into a battle knowing that you're going to win the battle? Can you imagine that? Now, why is it that 70% of those men who hit the beach in Italy and France didn't fire around because part of them thinking, we ain't going to win this. (laughs) We're going to get blown out of the water. And I, me included, and I got to run for cover here. That was part of the issue, wasn't it? But what if you knew you were going to win the battle before you were ever entered into it? I I think the rate would go much higher than 30%. (laughs) If you know you're going to win, you're going to continue. The Bible says in 1 John 5.18, I put this up last week, it says that uh, he who has been born of God, which you have been, if you have asked Jesus into your life, he who has been born of God keeps himself, meaning in the, keeps himself in the love of God, and the wicked one does not touch him. Doesn't mean he, you won't be affected by spiritual battle, but you, you, can't, you can't lose. You know you're going to win before the battle even starts. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37. It says, in all these things, what things? Sort of the battle of life. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So you're going into a battle knowing you're going to win, even though sometimes it seems like there's no hope of winning. It's interesting that right immediately prior to this verse in Romans 8, Verse 37, verse 36 says, we are accounted as sheep going to the slaughter. Meaning, people looking at us, we look like sheep about to get slaughtered and butchered. And sometimes that's how we feel. Now we're going to get to another piece of 
armor next week, the shield of faith, which, which, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Um, but you can't proceed in battle on the basis of feeling and emotion. But going into the battle, knowing that you are going to win. So speaking truth into anger, speaking truth into anxiety, into fears, truth into jealousy, into covetousness, into lust, into pride, and speaking truth into that feeling sometimes that, oh man, I'm going to lose this thing. Again, gird your waist with truth. Put on that belt of truth that winds up affecting every, every other part of your life. We're going to have communion this morning, and so I'm just calling the worship team up. If you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time as well. What's the reason for communion? It's to remember that cross. It's to remember the price that Jesus paid as a penalty for our sin. It's to remember that. It's to remember the ugliness of, uh, of our sin and, and the cost that Jesus paid. Communion is for believers in Christ. It is for people who have come to the place in their life where they, they, recognize, they recognize at some point in their life, you know, Lord, I've tried to live my life apart from you. I have lived my life apart from you. I've lived a life that opposed what you wanted for me, opposed your word. Forgive me, Lord. I just put all that sin, all that rebellion, all that disobedience before you. And I ask you just to come into my life as Lord. If you've never done that, you shouldn't be having communion. But there's an opportunity now to do so. It's a simple prayer of faith. You can come up and you can pray with us. I'll be up here. But if also, as you're preparing for the communion table, we have a cup in the back and uh, crackers in the back. If there's an area of your life, and you know we've been talking about it here, where there just needs to be truth spoken into your life in, in, in one of these areas, whether it's fear, whether it's anger, whether it's sexual lust, you need to remember that the the blood of Christ not only paid for the penalty of your sin but has given you the power to win this battle and when you when you refuse to put on the armor of God and proceed in the battle what you're doing is is really it's 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 an insult to the cross. It's an insult to what Jesus has done for you. And before communion, it's important just to ask for forgiveness for forsaking the power and the grace that's available to you and to embrace, embrace by faith 
all these pieces of armor which give you the victory. If you would just like prayer along those lines, make sure you do that business with the Lord before you go to the communion table. The communion table is a serious thing. It's a sacred thing. It's a time where we, we celebrate what Jesus has done for us, but we don't want to take it lightly. And so if you can, uh, just as our worship team begins, if you would want prayer for any of those things, please come up. And just as the worship team is playing, it, it, whenever um, at your leisure time, at, at whatever point, you can just go to the back. We have the, the cups and the crackers in the back. You could just go back there and, and get it and return to your seat, and we will have communion together. So we will begin worship now.